Hello, and welcome to Good Film Hunting, the podcast where two sisters living um, in different parts of the country talk with family and friends about our favorite movies. Um, I will let Eleanor introduce our movie and our guest. All right, our guest today is in Los Angeles, and Chelsea Mason, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey guys, uh, so yeah, I'm Chelsea. I live here in LA and I work in the nonprofit sector. And I know Eleanor from our, we didn't know each other at our alma mater, but we now work together as part of Notre Dame Women Connect. And yeah, that's me. <laughs> And it's fun. We have a lot of Notre Dame people involved with this podcast. My sister graduated, Annie graduated in 2012, and Haley graduated with me in 2010. So it's like a Notre Dame-heavy podcast, which um, it's been a rough week for Notre Dame fans, but there we go. Um, (laughs) We won't talk about that part. (laughs) As far as I'm concerned, we won the Cotton Bowl. So here we are. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wish. Yeah. (laughs) Self-believing. I like it. I like it. It's all, it's now all in the past. More denial than anything else, but we're going to roll with that. It's perfect. So the movie we'll be talking about today is at Chelsea's suggestion, and Annie and I are both very excited about, is Lizzie McGuire movie. But Annie first likes to play a game. So Annie, I'll turn it over to you. Yes, thanks. Um, I like to play a game called Speed Friending, which is just, us asking you questions to get to know you a little bit more. Um, so what is your favorite day of the week? My favorite day of the week would have to be Friday um, because end of the week, usually a chill work day, and then you've got the whole weekend in front of you. So yeah, Friday's a good day. Yeah, agreed. Um, what is or who is your animated crush? <laughs> so, okay. Have you guys seen New Girl? I'm like a huge New Girl fan. Yes. Okay. So there's this scene uh, in New Girl where Jess is talking about her first crush. And she's like, teenage Simba is like what gave me feelings. And I, I have to say, I got to back her up on that. <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. There are a couple of Disney ones probably in there. I think Aladdin was also a, an early animated crush. Pretty much, you know, any of the animated cocky men probably, <laughs> which if you mes- met my husband would probably surprise you since he is the opposite of that. But <laughs> it's, tr- it's true. He is like a sweetheart and I would not associate him with what you described. Though it is hard to not love Aladdin because he's voiced by... Steve from Full House. Um, so that like <laughs> just did it for me. <laughs> it's always the voice, right? <laughs> well, it's even like I remember watching Pocahontas early or like in the early 2000s. So after it had been released in 1994 and someone was like, why is like John Smith's voice so sexy? You're like, it's Mel Gibson. And Mel Gibson has... A very nice voice. Oh, absolutely. Despite everything else that is we'll, problematic we'll about him. We'll ignore everything else about him. But he has a very attractive voice. Absolutely. So it it's like um, in, oh, what is it? Avengers Age of Ultron. Who's the guy who voices Ultron? His name is escaping me right now. 
oh crap this is gonna drive me insane uh, uh james spader who also has like oh boy that's a voice <laughs> and so like i hadn't yeah, thought of that oh my god it's it's pretty great yeah so i'm like watching the avengers and i'm supposed to be like rooting against ultron and i'm like that that like weird robot thing trying to take over the world is kind of hot right now and that's yeah the problem (laughs) it is a problem i mean that's tough okay and then our last one um mark Wahlberg or mark ruffalo oh mark ruffalo absolutely he's got some like good like sweetheart nerd cred you know kind of i guess the uh, maybe i don't like cocky men in real life maybe that's it maybe i only like it in animation and then i want the sweethearts in real life that might be it <laughs> i'm into that that's a good way to be i think probably you know <laughs> that's a good way to live your life um okay well let's jump in and start talking about our movie can you start by giving us a brief synopsis of yeah, sure. the Lizzie McGuire movie? Okay, so the Lizzie McGuire movie is the 2003 movie that actually, I believe, was released in theaters. I did not see it in theaters, um, though I wish I could have. Uh, but 2003, following, I believe, four seasons of the Lizzie McGuire TV show on the Disney Channel. So... In this movie, Lizzie McGuire, our heroine, um, just finishes middle school. And as, you know, any middle schooler does following middle school graduation, she goes off to Rome with her classmates for two weeks. Uh, And so as she is in Rome, she encounters this guy, this... um, cute Italian guy who says, oh my gosh, you look exactly like my friend. And it turns out he's an Italian pop star. And his friend is his like counterpart that he performs with. And so Lizzie McGuire goes to Rome and discovers she looks exactly like an Italian pop star. And so, you know, hijinks ensue. She is shown about Rome in about, I don't know, 50 different montages of them on a scooter (laughs) all over the place. Um, Seriously, this movie is like, it has every single type of montage in it, except for like the Rocky style training montage. It's got, it's got the makeover montage. Wait, wait, wait. I think that they actually, I think we could argue that that does exist. Because if you think about when they're practicing for the dance <laughs> and they do like all those cuts and like that's he's working true. really hard. It's a it's training like, montage. It is. It is a training. I just, I had to, <laughs> you know, I had to put that in there. No, you are absolutely right. Uh, yeah, but seriously, there's like a whole, but most of this movie is a montage of some kind. Like they're like, we don't really have to write that many lines for anyone we're just going to put lizzie mcguire on the back of a scooter with a cute little italian boy and just drive him around rome and that's going to be most of the movie which i personally am totally fine with um so anyway he convinces her that you know oh my friend isabella that you look exactly like you know she's about to get sued or in a lot of trouble or something um, if she doesn't make an appearance at this upcoming award show that she is contractually obligated to do, will you do it in her place? And so Sweet talks her into that. Meanwhile, this actor, whoever this wonderful little actor is, um, 
is so good at like the the puppy dog vibe he's just like oh woe is me woe is Isabella everything is terrible batting eyelashes will you help us like he nails this like you really want to believe that he's a good guy and he's just hapless and not mean um but you know as this all progresses we find out that not only is she supposed to appear at the award show she's supposed to sing at the award show and of course this is where we get our training montage of them practicing song and dance on the stage uh because she's told that she's going to be lip syncing and not singing live so everything's fine you just have to get up on a stage in front of thousands of people and millions at home and you know just lip sync it's fine even though you just like almost destroyed your middle school graduation by being on stage for 30 seconds so she shows up at the award show and then through various other hijinks Isabella comes back from quote the island like do we know what island she was on (laughs) they just keep calling it the island and I'm like are we on lost what are we doing here so (laughs) we get back to the award show Isabella shows up Lizzie sees her in backstage and then all of a sudden Everything is revealed. Isabella's like, no, Paolo's setting you up. You aren't going to be lip syncing. You're going to be singing live. So he makes me look bad. And he's the one who can't sing. Um, And so they, you know, push Lizzie out on stage to quote unquote lip sync. Isabella starts singing in a microphone that, you know, the sound guy just gave her apparently. Um, And so they kind of reveal Paolo to be the one who can't sing, um, which frankly is kind of hysterical. Like he nails his terrible singing. Like it is just beautiful. I, <laughs> it takes talent to screech that badly. So I really want to give him a shout out for that because that was just beautiful. Um, and so all of a sudden, you know, he runs off stage in a huff and whatever, and then Isabella and Lizzie perform together, both in, okay, so in this final scene, or second to final scene, or whatever, and Isabella and Lizzie are both on stage in, like, their fancy, you know, costumes and whatever, both of them have this weird belly button cut out. Did you guys notice that? It's the weirdest thing. Oh, my God. And so, yeah, they're, like, both in... I think they both start out in dresses, but they're both like weird cutaway dresses. That become pantsuits. That become like these bell-bottom pantsuit things. But they both have like this top with a weird cutout in the belly button area. And like Lizzie's is all like spangled or something. It's real weird. Uh, But other than that, they both do a lovely job performing. And Isabella somehow doesn't become a total prima donna like I personally would and be like, okay, you're done now. You may leave the stage and I will perform. She's like, no, Lizzie, you perform instead. Here are all my backup dancers. You know what to do now. And all of a sudden Lizzie's stage fright is completely gone and she just rocks out like um, pretty much my personal teenage dream would have been. And Well, I'm going to interject because it's not only that she rocks out, it's she changes the speed and tempo and tone of the song because it was a love ballad and it becomes a pop number. I think it's actually supposed to do that though because in the training montage they're practicing upbeat dancing and so I think that 
Okay. In the training montage, they like sing the opening ballad that's supposed to be slow. And then he's like, okay, now you have to learn how to dance because, you know, the song has like five lyrics that they just repeat over and over again. Side note, that song is a jam and I will stand by that. Um, And so I think that it actually was supposed to open as a ballad and transition into like an upbeat pop thing, but you don't see them rehearsing the song in full. I think. Maybe we all need to just watch it again. (laughs) No, so I think that's actually like a interesting point to make because I, as a child, always and as an adult, who am I kidding? I've watched this movie very recently. Um, loved the jazzy version that they're practicing to. Like I don't know why I always wanted to hear that, and it's just inter- instrumental. But I was drawn to it. It's such and a good song. It's like such a good song. Slow or fast, it's a jam. Hey now, hey now. This is what dreams are made of. Absolutely. And you can like really belt that out. Like I I'm gonna have that in my head for like a full week and I'm not sorry. So Chelsea, I did have a question though based on your description, particularly of how the movie came out in theaters, but that was not where you saw it. What was your first interaction with Liz McGuire the movie? And were you previously a Lizzie McGuire television show fan? Okay, so this is my shame. I have not seen a single episode of the TV show. Um, <laughs> so I got my hands on this DVD. Let's see. Okay. So in this would have been 2005, I think, when I was studying abroad in Australia we went to Bali for spring break. So in this hole in the wall shop in Bali, there were what, if the MPA is listening, were not bootleg DVDs in a store. Um, And I bought probably, God, like 30 DVDs or something like that in this little hole in the wall shop for maybe 20 bucks. Um, Again, for any law enforcement people listening, those were, I have no idea if they were bootleg, they were just very inexpensive. So here we are. Um, so Lizzie McGuire was one of the movies that I picked up when I just started grabbing a whole bunch of things. I was like, this looks interesting, I'll try this. And so it was just in the stack. And so I watched it for the first time without really any background. I was like, it just looks like fun fluff, which is totally what I discovered it to be. And so it quickly became one of my favorite things to, you know, just have on in the background or something because it's it's just such, it's so like pure and there are, no stakes really in this like it's not going to stress you out you don't have to watch it intensively you can just like have it on and be like oh look they're on a scooter in rome again how lovely is this and it's it's just so sweet you know like Mm -hmm. it's such a a nice 90 minute piece of fluff like it's delightful and i would say from the opening scene which is the Atomic Kitten remix of The Tide is High, where she's dancing around in her bathroom and her little brother's capturing her on film. It is interesting, though, because 
Annie and I, we didn't grow up with cable. We weren't really aware of the Liz McGuire show. I would say we'd probably seen maybe two or three episodes total, but we weren't well aware of the world of the middle school. And as an aspiring film nerd, when this movie came out, I remember I read the reviews in our town newspaper, The River Forest Leaves, like religiously. And the, one of the major complaints that the reviewer had about this film was it, it takes away from the pleasure of the television show in which Lizzie McGuire is an ordinary, relatable girl who always makes mistakes and always gets in trouble and in this movie she achieves her dreams and finds love um but I think that's why it works as a standalone movie we wouldn't I think how it works in episodes and Annie please correct me if I'm wrong Mm. that Lizzie McGuire never really achieves success so that's not always true there's always something that goes wrong but like we can't forget that she was successful enough to kiss Aaron Carter on an episode you know what I'm talking about so like she had her wins (laughs) (laughs) did she win all the time no and she was mostly I don't know being I yeah I don't know I mean I I remember having seen a couple episodes and then watching this movie and being concerned that her best friend Miranda was not there. But it turns out the young actress herself was in rehab. So it was like a very functional reason for her character to not be in the movie. But it kind of made it easier to have Lizzie and um, Gordo mm-hmm. come together because you didn't have this like threesome of friends. You just had Lizzie and Gordo on this trip. So. It, like, worked out in the end. Okay, Chelsea, one of the other things you brought up in your description was the incredible use of montage in this film. Do you have a particular montage that sticks out the most to you? And, like, alongside that, the the soundtrack of this film is perfect, I would say. And is there a song outside of what dreams are made of which lizzie mcguire mcguire the character sings with isabella that really speaks to you <laughs> all right well i'll go with the montage thing first the makeover montage or when she's like trying on all those absurd dresses is hilarious like every single person in that scene plays it up so ridiculously that it's it's just delightful you know like especially the designer that they have in there just going completely over the top wearing an absurd outfit herself and and just like totally mugging for the camera but not looking at the camera like just going all in hilarious um and you can imagine that the designers for the film had a field day coming up with those outfits too i mean we got rope lighting in there we got a blow up igloo in there. i mean freaking amazing stuff um so that is definitely my favorite montage um the song at the beginning um where she's singing into her hairbrush that i think would be my second favorite song in the entire movie uh i know it's not like an original it's a um it's a cover But I think part of the reason it's so great, first of all, it's a great song. Um, But second of all, it just sets the tone for Lizzie's character so well. Like, this is 
a middle school girl in her bedroom singing into her hairbrush. Like, I feel like most of us can relate to that on a very deep level. So <laughs> I, I think that is, is really fun. Um, to go back a second, we're talking about like taking the, the character and the story out of her day to day, like middle school life. I, you know, kind of thinking about that a little, I don't know if you could really do a solid 90 minutes of that. You know, it works so well in episodic form because it's it's low-key, it's one of those school dramas, you know, kind of comedy drama supposed to relate to middle school girls. But do you go to the theater for that? No, you need to like up the stakes a little bit. You need to make it more special for it to be a 90-minute movie, I think. So I... I, I would disagree with that reviewer <laughs> and to say uh, <laughs> that it was probably the best choice they could have done to take the characters into an unfamiliar setting. And if I'm not mistaken, Alex Borstein isn't in the TV show, right? I don't think so. And Alex Borstein in this is incredible. Like Miss Ungermeyer, for those who don't know. And I know now she she's received a lot of critical acclaim, both in Nurse Jackie and in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, but Which I, think, I love. But, I love The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Okay. We'll oh, yeah. But, I'm with you on that. But part. I remember <laughs> when this movie came out, I know we were excited because she was a villain in Power Rangers, the TV show prior to this. And that was like what we assumed she was famous from. from. <laughs> well, she, okay. I could be completely wrong in this, but doesn't she voice someone on the Simpsons too? Like she's, she has the voice that would work for the Simpsons, okay. but I don't know. We all sound like super noobs right now, but I'm going to, I know. <laughs> um, um, but, but but she I, is like a freaking national treasure. Like, I love her so much. This movie, though, effectively ended the television series. Yes. Because it's not as if... And I don't know if that was intentional in terms of aging Hilary Duff out, but it was this idea that, like, Lizzie McGuire, after going to Rome and becoming a pop star, can't really return to freshman year in a believable way if we wanted to think about the continuity of the universe. Yeah, I mean, this was the transition into them going to high school. I think there were talks about the um, the TV show continuing, but ultimately it didn't. Um, so I think it was a way for them to tie a bow on middle school and kind of have the option to move on, but they would have had to explore completely different storylines after she gives her best friend a kiss at the end. Like that would have completely changed the dynamic um, moving into high school. And of course, then you've got hormones raging and everything, and you're going to be dealing with completely different themes. And um, high school may have ultimately been too old for the Disney channel at that point too. They would have had to get into stuff that maybe they wouldn't have wanted to. I think. Yeah, I think that that would have happened and they're maybe a little bit more able to do it now. Like they could have kind of like this Disney 
in 2019 would have been able to handle it in a way that like back then they just didn't know how to like traverse those waters um but honestly i'm i mean i loved this movie and i would have loved to see maybe a second or i don't know if they like reimagined it and come out with the one right now i'd obviously watch it thanks netflix that's an idea um (laughs) I also loved how Hilary Duff transitioned out of this movie because shortly after came her solo album, Metamorphosis, which is very important to my own personal (laughs) development in that time in my life when I was so emotional. She spoke to me. That's cute. I honestly haven't listened to too much of her music. I think uh, I do know that her sister also sings quite a bit. I think she's done some Broadway work, too. Um, and her sister, Haley Duff, is actually voicing Isabella's singing voice in the movie. I think she's uncredited, but she's, oh, she's, it's not, uh, it's not Hilary Duff singing both parts. Haley's singing. It's Haley Duff. Mm-hmm. So the sisters are doing a duet there. That's why it would be really, really hard, I think, to make it sound good, just like editing and mixing if Hillary was singing both parts. So it's kind of smart on their part to have the, her sister step in for that. Well, okay. You also had talked about in terms of casting, like Paolo was cast very well. Oh yeah. yeah. And I, we were like nerds in that we also watched all the special features on the DVD. And I just remember being floored and we shouldn't have been floored that Paolo was in fact American and was like putting on an Italian accent the entire time. And that was like very upsetting. <laughs> um, and then he was later on, he was, had an arc on pretty little liars and it was weird seeing him grown up. Um, and it was interesting how many former Disney stars had low key arcs on pretty little liars, but it, I mean, <laughs> it's all in the ABC family. Um, well, the funny thing is Hillary Duff ends up having kind of a weird arc on Gossip Girl not too many years after th- doing this movie. Like, it's it's a little odd. Uh, she does... Okay, let's see. She She's currently on Younger with Sutton Foster, which, honestly, I want it to be better than it is, but it's not. It's not that great. I'm such a fan of both of them, and I wish the show were better. Um, But she does this weird arc in Gossip Girl once they're all in college. She's, like, again, playing a pop star or an actor. No, she's playing an actress um, who, you know, decides to also attend NYU. And um, she's, like, a love interest of Dan's for god like six episodes she hangs out for a little while and it's it's you know how you see a lot of former disney stars take on something like edgy and sexy to prove that they're not disney stars anymore like that is exactly what this arc is it's hysterical uh but yeah she makes her gossip girl debut um in an episode that's like all based around songs by lady gaga it's real weird it's kind of when gossip girl starts jumping the shark um but yeah it's it's really weird to see her because you know i associate her so deeply with the lizzie mcguire movie that i'm just like no oh god no don't go there i can't handle like this this very very 
oversexed version of Hillary Duff. Okay. Did you, so with this oversexed version of Hillary Duff, that might have been, it didn't really go over well, generally speaking. Like, that was when her career kind of stalled until she was able to reestablish herself as, like, mid to late 20s. Yeah. But, so this movie came out when, Hillary Duff is younger than you, right? Not by much, yes. but, like, by yes. a little bit. She was born in 87. So, okay. And then, so this movie, you first saw when you were in college. Did you find a community of people your age who were also interested in it? Or were you, like, an outlier? Well, I don't know if I ended up watching this particular movie with anybody, but since in college I ran with PEMCO, the uh, musical theater group at Notre Dame, um, we obsessed over high school musical. So it's, it's kind of all in the same vein. You know, the Disney movie, the intense like g-rated purity that is these movies you know it's just so it's so fun and light and i think that if i had said to any of those friends um hey let's watch the lizzie mcguire movie they probably totally would have been all in Mm -hmm. have you have you found like into adulthood and beyond like that this is a movie you i've I feel like particularly living in Los Angeles all the time, people have weird movies that they enjoy talking about. Is this one that you would bring up, for example, like at a dinner party? You, I feel, I, and you might disagree with me. I feel like all the time here, people are very interested in like the weird quirky movies that say something about your character more than being like, oh, I loved Alfonso Cuaron's recent masterwork. <laughs> um, it's... Eleanor, you know what? I think, I, I think she's <laughs> totally right, though. Um, I, I think I will start using this one at dinner parties. I feel like it's, it is one that would, for better or worse, tell my fellow guests exactly who I am very quickly, <laughs> um, and. It would also tell them that I am not the person who would have probably seen Alfonso Cuaron's latest movie. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, it's it's not one that I have honestly thought about in a while. Uh, so it was, it was so much fun to revisit it, uh, especially at, like crossing my fingers that it was going to hold up. I was like, please don't let this let me down. You know, like, it's it's always hard to revisit one of your favorites from from long ago and I was so thrilled that it held up oh absolutely and you would describe this as a comfort movie and this is 100% a comfort movie and along with weirdly Air Force One it was almost like when people we had exams in junior high and high school and my brother, my sister, and I all went to, like, brother-sister schools. So after exams were over, we almost every semester watched Lizzie McGuire movie and Air Force One, like, on the same day. And both of them, I think, were relieving in different ways. Like, Lizzie McGuire movie because it's pure enjoyment. And then Air Force One because it's so much adrenaline. And it was, like, the perfect post, like, big push academic film series um so i'm really i'm so glad that you found this 
in Bali. Like, isn't it funny too sometimes where you can associate movies that you really enjoyed and you're like, I might not have enjoyed it as much had it not been for this like crazy random happenstance. Oh, absolutely. And there were a couple other movies that we picked up um, for that same trip. So it was probably, I want to say 15 of us who all went to Bali at the same time. And we all picked up a whole bunch of movies. And I remember one night when, you know, because it was, it wasn't the rainy season in Bali at that point, but one night it just like poured rain. So we didn't go anywhere. And we just hung out at the hotel. And the hotel that we were at was actually like a series of little bungalows, um, like in a freaking Balinese rainforest. It was charmed. It was beautiful. Um, And so there were no TVs in any of the rooms, but we asked the the hotel just like we have all these movies do you have anything we can watch them on so they like wheeled in this like old crt tv like one of the giant really heavy ones and a dvd player and of course because of the nature of where we purchased these dvds we just started going and seeing how many of them worked because about i would say 80 to 90 percent of them actually played um and so we put in Sin City and that is yeah like on a rainy Balinese night we're all sitting around this old TV watching Sin City and I think that's probably the only setting I will ever be able to handle that movie like that is oh boy that's a dark movie um but beautiful like it looked gorgeous even on that crappy TV and so I always associate that movie with Bali which is the weirdest freaking thing um, <laughs> that and then Lizzie McGuire, I ended up, I think, watching more in my room back in Australia and then like randomly during college and thereafter. I mean, oh, wait, I truly could watch this movie almost any day, honestly. Like, I don't think that there would be a time where I'm like, no, now's not a good time for a Lizzie McGuire movie. It honestly just makes me happy and and I love, like, the side characters in this movie, too. So, like, we have Lizzie and Gordo and Paolo. Um, and we talked about Miss Munger, who's great. But, like, I love the little brother. And I love his, like, little girlfriend who's, like, evil incarnate and, like, really takes it on. Like, I have to be a little sister to Lizzie in a way that her little brother's not. And I love her. But I also love, like, the really dumb American guy who's with her on that trip, whose name I forget, Ethan, right? Ethan. Yeah, it's like a totally, like, 2000s, like, surfer boy name. It's, like, so quintessential. And he's just so dumb. Mm -hmm. And it's hilarious. Yeah, he's a great character. I love – there's this one little tiny scene where he's – talking to Miss Undermeyer and she's giving it to him about something and he's just skateboarding back and forth in the hotel room like delivering his lines going in one direction and then cuts back to her and he like delivers his next line skateboarding back in the other direction and he's just like kind of sliding through the frame it's hysterical it's it's just a a delightful little vignette in the movie Yes, that is, like, so funny. And I know exactly the scene you're talking about. And then I love how the girl at the end, who's, like, usually mean to Lizzie, 
eats the carbs full of or like the plate full of pasta because <laughs> it's such yeah. like a middle school girl thing to be like oh I'm not gonna eat carbs you know what I'm talking about and then she's like whatever I'm in Italy I'm gonna eat some pasta everything is turned around because Luffy's cool she also though looks older than I do and she's supposed right? to have just graduated eighth grade. <laughs> like, she's wearing freaking pantsuits, walking around Rome with, like, her perfectly curled hair. Like, it's so early 2000s, but, like, for someone in their 30s, like, what are you doing in that outfit? But I think that also, that choice tells you a lot about who that character is. And so it, it works, but it's also really funny to see. Okay, so Chelsea, I wanted to ask a question a little out of the blue, and you might not have an answer, but if you were to delete a scene or a strand of this movie, like a even like a minor storyline, what do you think is extraneous in the film? Oh, that's an interesting question. I mean, it would be hard to find too much that's extra in the movie because it's only 90 minutes. Um, there isn't a lot of extra to cut, but I do think that at a certain point, like, again, going back to how the movie's like half montages, I think we could have <laughs> tightened up a little bit of the sightseeing. You know, it's it's cute, and but, like, how many times do we need to see her, like, smiling and pointing at things, you know? Like, I <laughs> I think that the plot itself is you know, on the thin side. So I don't know if there's really much that you can cut in the way of plot. Uh, but in terms of the actual, like, scenes, I guess, I, I would probably cut down on a little bit of the sightseeing montages, even though I love a good montage. It just starts getting a little old after a while, you know? It's true. Yeah, and the, like, I, I would say for me, I don't love her parents, um, and I understand why they were needed. And maybe this is part of it. Her parents were just so silly and so dumb that there was, like, there was like no serious adults in this film, and maybe that was the appeal. But, yeah, it's... You had mentioned so many of these, like, side characters who are so important, like Miss Ungermeyer and her like romantic relationship is like beautiful and adorable <laughs> and then Ethan's relationship and growth like all of these characters ex so many of them experience growth and that actually ha is very complex for like a 97 minute film that's like, really have true yeah I mean you see you see those romantic pairings you see people you know like coming to understandings you don't really see that with her parents um i will say i see like glimpses of my own mother and lizzie's mom like oh my god you're leaving for two weeks oh my god like you should have seen my mother when i went off to college like oh man she'd probably kill me for even saying anything about it but she was just distraught for like probably a full month up to me leaving for college um and and so I just saw so many glimpses of my own mother in Lizzie's mom um and and so that 
I think there's more like emotional connection there to me. I think her dad just kind of sits there and does nothing for the majority of the movie. Like I know he's supposed to kind of be a, a foil or a counterweight to Lizzie's mom, but it kind of ends up with him just being a non-entity, you know, like, it's just like, why are you here? You're not doing anything. Is there anything that you or any topic that you really want to discuss that we haven't hit on yet and that we should um, include? Um, I I think that's pretty much it. I think one of the fun things that I enjoyed watching was the costuming uh, and just looking at like the early 2000s fashions like man I forgot about bell bottoms and they are everywhere in this movie and I thought that was a lot of fun and unfortunately they're coming back oh, have I you know. noticed that yes and like the really crazy wide ones like the obnoxiously wide ones are coming that back. don't look good on anyone who's not literally a hanger with no hips right right you've got to be like six feet tall and a hundred pounds to look good in those so it's it is incredible. Um, so we'll move into our final-ish portion in which we discuss the legacy of the Lizzie McGuire movie and if you would recommend it for the youths of today. So, Chelsea, what are your, what are your thoughts based on your enthusiasm thus far? <laughs> well, as we said earlier, like, this really does hold up you see a lot of movies from that long ago like this is pre-iphone this is still in the relatively early days of the internet which is so much a part of how you know youth experience culture today but because this movie kind of literally goes to another country and <laughs> the experience especially like when you go vacation you aren't checking your phone every five minutes. You're not texting your friends every five minutes. You're out there experiencing things. You're sightseeing on the back of a Vespa for the 10th time. Uh, and so I, you, when you watch a movie that's this old, often you see a lot of things that like, oh my God, look at the size of that cell phone and things like that. Here, there aren't any things that jump out to you like that as anachronisms because anachronism isn't the right word there uh you don't see a lot of things that jump out to you as out of place or old or you don't you're not bumping on anything like that and so i think this holds up better than most partly for that reason you're exploring a lot of themes that are timeless you know you're you're looking at you know middle school friendships and kind of the weird drama and the mean girl thing and the obnoxious little brother and uh it's you know a lot of themes that really are timeless that aren't tied to social media in any way or technology in any way it's just you know all these personal interactions that I feel like anybody of any age can relate to in some way still. And I think that the storylines are pretty pretty contemporary in a lot of ways. You know, you again you watch some of the older things and and you're just like, "Ooh, should she have really let him get away with that?" Yeah. Like you wouldn't write a female character or a male character that way now. And you don't see a ton of that in this movie either. And I think it's because 
the any romantic storylines in this are are pretty uh, G-rated in a lot of ways, and they don't delve too deeply into any of them. Um, but even but with- that's that is not. I love that, and that's not something I thought about. And Lizzie, we see her growth, and for lack of a better term, empowerment, and the relationship as it's presented is based on respect and it's like from the respect and friendship the attraction is built and I think that that's not something I thought of as like a valuable lesson from this and like what you said is really beautiful in like if we if we take this film as even an opportunity for instruction I do worry about kids today like going on school trips and really only as a way of like capturing it or taking photos and even mm-hmm. a few years ago when I was teaching middle school, it was like somewhat horrifying to take them on field trips and just see them take pictures. And to have kids get, get so fully immersed in where they are and have that be why they're able to take part in adventures, like that's a really cool legacy I did not think of. <laughs> yeah, I like, I love that too. And when I think back, though, I took a similar trip to Lizzie McGuire, I guess, kind of like I went on a, a trip in high school to Rome. Um, with a bunch of friends on like a choir trip or whatever and we had one girl and this was the age of like digital cameras and I'll never forget she left our like a week-long trip like 10 days with like over 2,000 pictures that she had taken of like every inch of the Vatican and like all of these things and she once asked me like why I wasn't taking very many pictures and I was like Jacqueline you're taking all of them (laughs) like I should just you know get your picture of the Pieta or like that column in Rome, like I don't need that. Um, so it's like, it's, it is kind of sad how that has shifted. Like no one lives right now, but this is what dreams are made of. <laughs> hey absolutely. Now. Hey now. Hey now. Um, okay. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think you probably would have seen this movie take on a very different flavor if it were made today. You'd have, you know, probably some story grant storyline about Instagram at some point or whatever. Um, Isabella would have found out about this nonsense a lot sooner than she actually did. <laughs> uh, if we had had social media more prevalent than it is at this point in time. But I don't think that's not one of the plot holes that I bumped on. You know, there were some others like really her, her parents are going to be able to successfully gate crash a award ceremony. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's not going to happen. But other than that, like the, the lack of social media and living through a camera instead of just experiencing things wasn't something that I found unusual, which is probably a good thing, but probably also says something more about, my age and and how you know I personally experience things too I I think a middle schooler today might see this a little differently but I think it also could going back to Eleanor's earlier point still be instructive in a lot of ways um okay as we wrap up um we always end our episodes by talking about our pop culture thing of the week so, does anybody want to go first? I have one, and so with watching football this past week, I was sitting there watching this game disintegrate, 
And I was brought back to this, like, really horrible book. I mean, it's, like, kind of trashy, but I love it, by Emily Giffen, who's, like, the ultimate chiclet Oh, my God. I hate this book. I hate this book so much. Eleanor loves it. It's so bad. It is really bad, but, like, I was watching it, and I was like, I want to read this book again tonight. So I, luckily, it was available immediately from the L.A. Public Library on Kindle, and it's called The First. The one and only. I actually don't even really know the title. I think it's the one and only by it Emily Giffen. It is the one and only. It's only. kind it's of so a bad. skeezy-ish book. This is the woman who wrote something borrowed and something blue, so that gives you a hint of like her te- her level of literature. And but it's like based in like a small football town and about a football program and about a girl falling in love with her best friend's father, who's like the head football coach. And I like love this book, and so immediately following the game on Saturday. I took it out from the library and then, like, stayed up all night reading it in bed, and it was, like, the happiest I'd been in a while. (laughs) Well, with that game, man, you do you. Anything you needed to get yourself out of a 30-3 score, I I say hashtag self-care to that. (laughs) Okay. I can can do mine, I guess. Um, And this may actually be something that Eleanor can chime in too, because the Rose Parade was this morning. And, um, you know, I live in Pasadena. So ever since I moved here, I've always been within walking distance of the Rose Parade. And um, it's, it's one of those things that's so like iconically new year's day and i remember when i first moved to pasadena it's something that i always grew up watching because my mother has like this hilarious deep love of parades uh and so we would always have it on and being able to go see it in person you know because i'm right off the parade route i could roll out of bed and throw on a coat and just walk two blocks and watch the floats go by and like my neighborhood which is always so cool Uh, and so unfortunately this morning i wasn't feeling so great so i stayed in bed where it was much warmer than it was outside and so this is the first year i've lived in pasadena where i've missed the parade and this is also the first year where apparently things just went haywire. <laughs> so I think Shaka Khan had some kind of issue this morning, like kicking off the parade. And then at the very end, one of... There was a fire! There was a fire! There was a fire on a float that was two trains. So there was literally a train wreck of a float in the Rose Parade this year, which... I found kind of hysterical. So I'm like lying in bed with the Rose Parade on TV. I'm watching what is, you know, a mile away from my apartment uh, on TV. And Al Roker and um, Hoda, they were, we had, you know, NBC on and they're just trying to riff. And it was hysterical because you could tell they didn't know what to do because they had to fill this time waiting for a small fire to be put out and a tow truck to show up to start dragging this poor float down Colorado Boulevard. It never does. And so what starts to happen is 
the I'm assuming the Rose Parade producers just start sending out anything to go down the route that can get around the float. And so you just start getting like five marching bands in a row because that's all that can get down Colorado Boulevard because this giant float is blocking most of everything. And then the Rose Parade just abruptly ends. They just say, okay, bye. Yes. And it cuts like, to hockey. They're just like, what just happened? Well, and as someone like watching it as it was happening like midway through, it was... There was, like, a tiny little, like, horse and buggy that was, like, the last thing. So everyone was very confused. They were like, oh, is the parade over? Like, are we waiting for someone? It was weird. It was so weird. It was Ugh. so weird. And then, of course, as I am wont to do, I immediately get on Twitter. And everybody is, like, posting pictures of people leaving. And so all of a sudden, Colorado Boulevard, the parade route, is full of people leaving and so they're trying to like drag this poor broken float down Colorado but they can't move very far because all of these people have decided to go home because they think the parade's over and it was just this total cluster like to kick off the new year and I've just never seen anything like it so I here will promise the Rose Parade organizers that next year I will show up and wander <laughs> down to the parade route to not give you all bad luck again. That is very kind of you for all of America. <laughs> I do That's what I so can. Funny. I honestly wasn't aware that any of that had happened. Um, so now I know I'll be able to talk to people tomorrow. Um, I, my thing is, I don't know. I think I'm kind of late to the game on it, but I finally had time over Christmas break to watch it. My mom and I watched, the HBO mini series. Well, now it's going to, it's going to have a second season, but the, my brilliant friend show on HBO is so good. I'm like completely enthralled. I just want to know what happens. I can't wait to for season two because guess what? Lila is so upset. Girlfriend is pissed and I can't wait to see what she does because (laughs) she's upset as am I. But she's upset. And it's her wedding day, so really anything could happen. And I can't wait. Also, the actresses are so young. They're both these, like, Italian girls from around Naples. And they're, like, 15 and 16 years old and are so, so good. I was just astounded. It's really well done. Everyone should watch it. Yay. Okay. I've only watched the first two episodes because those ones had the really young girls. They're who were so cute. So cute. They're so good. And then I like get less interested because people get older. But anyway. Oh, Eleanor, you should keep watching. It's really good. And I'm really sorry that I just <laughs> gave away like the ending to season one. I didn't really say what happened, though. Okay, wonderful. Um, well, Chelsea, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss the incomparable Lizzie McGuire movie. Um, we are so grateful for your time. Uh, we're, thank you again to our producer, Haley Beaupre, for all of your work editing and producing. Um, thank you to all of our listeners, and you can find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And here's to a year of films in 2019. Yay!